people that worships you in spirit and in truth. God, we honor you. We honor you. We honor you and we welcome you into every part of our lives. Every part of our lives, God. Today is no different than yesterday. We welcome you, Lord. Have your way. Have your way this morning, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We give glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We welcome all those who are visiting us online. And uh, we say you're welcome. <laughs> you are, you're fully welcome. We, we, we pray that you've been blessed during this time of worship. We're just going to kind of transition at this point and give everyone an opportunity to, to settle in, grab your Bibles, get ready for the word to come. We've got, we're excited to hear from Dr. Michael Brown as he comes to bring the word, word of the Lord, and I know that you're going to be blessed by it. We are expectant this morning, but just as a, a matter of taking care of house business, we do want to make available to those of you who are watching online, you can always continue to sow into the ministry, sow into the house of God uh, by way of text, by way of online giving. I think we've got a slide that they can put up on the screen. There's a few of our leaders and some folks that are here joining us on campus today, and we'll just have a, a basket in the back that you guys can, can give into. But let's just pray over, over this house, and then we're going to turn it over to Dr. Brown, let him loose, and believe for God to minister to the masses. Amen? So agree with us today. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you are and all that you're continuing to do. Lord God, we recognize that there's a lot going on in our nation. There's a lot going on in our city. We recognize that the first responders and those in medical professions and those in areas of government are, are, are having difficult decisions to make, God. We pray your grace and your mercy, God, and we will continue to pray as your church. Even later today, we will pray. But Lord, right now, we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to sow into what you're doing in our city, to sow into this house, God. Lord, so we ask that we would, you would allow us to be obedient to how you would have us respond this morning. Lord, we listen to your spirit and we say, Lord, how would you have us give? How would you have us respond to this, God? How would you have us respond to your voice? So speak to us now, Holy Spirit. Speak to us now that we could be obedient to you. Lord, and I pray your blessing. Lord, I pray your blessing upon each and every household. I pray your protection. I pray health. I pray the blood of Jesus upon each and every doorpost, Lord God, from the top of every head to the sole of every foot, God. Lord God, that you would cleanse each and every one, God. Let the hearts in each and every family be at peace, that those that set their minds on you, God, they would be in perfect peace, God. As they place their trust in you, God, they would find that place of peace. We lift you up today, God. Let your blessing flow and be glorified in our midst today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, you can give online, those watching. We'll have uh, notes in the in the comments for you if you need to know how to do that via text or online giving. But now, why don't we welcome, give a, a warm welcome to Dr. Michael Brown as he comes to give the word of the Lord. Morning, folks. We'll just wait for the pulpit to make its way up here. <clears throat> All right, uh, there are actually more, more people here than I expected to see this morning. I knew we were mainly having an online service, but I'm, I'm very used to uh, speaking to a camera in an empty room. In fact, uh, one of our sons-in-law, Jimmy, 
suggest it if I'm like 103 years old and maybe too old to be doing much and maybe in a retirement home. They can just put a mic next to the chair, not plugged into anything, and I'll just broadcast all day. <laughs> all right, um, we've prayed. Let's open the scriptures together. I, I want to give you wisdom from God, a word from God in the midst of the storm, in the midst of unusual times. Uh, certainly, this is the only time in my lifetime I can remember getting emails from airlines and stores and others saying, okay, these are different times and how do we handle them? And this is, this is a divine opportunity for us as God's people to shine and to be lights in the midst of darkness and to have his perspective in the midst of a world that's going through real shaking right now. I just want to say one thing. If at any point I clear my throat, that is my traditional minor radio cough from speaking all the time. So I am healthy and thriving by God's grace. <clears throat> Let's start in Psalm 46. Psalm 46. I've got a number of important points to make that I think will really help you put things in perspective as well as give you a plan of attack for your own life. So as we speak here to some of our <laughs> to folks around the world, I believe this world will be very relevant. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It's an interesting Hebrew phrase. It's literally exceedingly found in trouble. Now, now look at what's written here. Because God is our refuge and strength, Look at what follows. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. I, I mean, you're talking about the whole world literally being shaken physically. Beyond anything we've seen with earthquake or tsunami or hurricane or tornado, literally the physical shaking of the entire planet. And the psalmist says, but we don't fear because God's our refuge. This is not just some spiritual concept. Oh, he's my refuge. I run to the Lord. This is reality. This is more real than if there was an impregnable fortress standing that could, that could withstand 10 nuclear bombs and you run in there to be safe. God is our refuge is infinitely greater than that. And because of that reality, no matter what comes our way, when you have that foundation, you don't fear. And then the Hebrew word, selah. You say, what does that mean? We don't know. If you've based your whole ministry on the secret meaning of the word selah, find another ministry. Some type of pause, some type of musical notation. But there it is. And now, now look at what comes next. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If we know 
that God is the one shaking the world, and we know that he's with us, then we have confidence. And his stream, his life, his grace, his wisdom, his word, his provision, that flows in the midst of our, quote, city. It doesn't have to be a physical location. And with that, we have all that we need. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. So final judgments and then God's grace coming out of it. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. If you can really take verse 11 to heart, if this can be reality to you, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress, that's all you need in every circumstance for the rest of your life. For you, for your family, for your business, for your ministry, for your calling. If that is real to you, that, that's all you need to know. There's a question, though, that comes up in times like this about, well, aren't we supposed to act in faith? And when the government is saying, you, know, you can't have a gathering of more than a, a hundred people, or the government is restricting travel, shouldn't we just go ahead with our lives and act by faith? Here's the thing, friends. Faith and wisdom are two sides of the same coin. Take a look with me in Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22 Verse 3 says this, Proverbs 22, 3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. If, if you live on the coast and you're told to evacuate, it is wisdom, it is divine wisdom to evacuate. Now, if God sends you on a mission and says, I'm calling you to go into the midst of that and to help people that got stuck, then you obey the voice of the Lord. But divine wisdom is when you see danger coming, you avoid it. In, in fact, the Hebrew here says that, that you hide yourself. That's the same root word as in Psalm 91, that, that God is our hiding place. It's not one or the other. Look, I've been called by God in ministry to go into dangerous situations where we knew at the least we risk getting violently attacked and at the worst we could be killed. And the only question I had is, God, are you sending us to preach? I mean, we knew the environment. We knew the hostility. We knew the threats. And when God said go, we went. And the only concern was deliver the message. And there are plenty of other times. Listen, I am, I am glad. I fly constantly. I'm glad when they say, we're having a mechanical problem, because of that, we're not taking off. Oh, I don't like the delay, but I'm glad they're not playing games with it. I'm glad they're not saying, the play, it may make it, it may not, we'll give it a shot. And in the unlikely event of a water landing over the Atlantic, remember, the seat cushions beneath you can be flotation devices. Now, I'm glad that they have these guidelines. It is wisdom. Faith and wisdom go hand in hand. Not only so, but the whole reason for the extreme restrictions is about loving your neighbor. 
The, the whole thing is to try to contain this before it spreads and goes wild. It's primarily not just for you, especially if you're younger and healthy. It's for others that are more vulnerable. So it's not lack of faith. It could be lack of love that causes you to defy the orders. All right? And again, this is not persecution of religious groups. This is affecting everybody the same. There was a fellow that God used me to lead to the Lord in high school. And a few years later, he was getting married. I was going to be one of the, the uh, uh, guys in his wedding. And we had had tent meetings at our church. We put a tent up on the property, and we were holding tent meetings. And this fellow, John, went to the pastor. He said, is it possible that we could leave the tent up another month because we're getting married? My wife and I would love to get married under the tent. He said, the only problem is there's some bad weather coming. There's some winds, and it could rip up the tent. But he said, oh, could, please, could you do it? We really want the outdoor. We really want to get married under the tent. So the pastor agreed to leave the tent up against his better judgment. And here is the weather's getting bad, and it's a few days before. He's in faith, and God's going to hold back the bad weather, and everything's going to be fine under that tent. And there was a, a Methodist church building we had as a backup, and we were going to be using that, potentially, if, if the weather was bad. And he had met with the, the folks there. And I remember we met the, the guy that took care of the building, custodian, janitor. I don't even think he knew the Lord. He just worked there and was a nominal Christian. He said, yeah, if you give us notice, we'll have the building ready uh, if there's bad weather. So the guy decided, don't give him any notice. Everything's going to be fine. We're going ahead, quote, by faith, despite the forecast. I remember showing up that Saturday morning, and the tent was getting ripped apart. The water was pouring into the building. And I remember his best man, Billy, was, was walking around, and we all had these rags, because the chairs are now all getting soaked with water. And he's got like a t-shirt, and he's trying to just wipe chair after chair. And I, and I look at, you know, John, and he's just completely crestfallen. And what are we going to do? And it's a special day for him and his bride and all this. So last minute, last minute, I mean, this is literally last minute. They called the guy at the church, and they said, is there any way we could switch things over there? He was, oh, yeah. He said, I washed the floors yesterday, cleaned everything. I said, I knew you were coming. <laughs> so here's the guy. I don't even think he was a Christian, but he looked at the weather report. He looked at the weather report, and he had the wisdom to polish the floors and do the whole thing, get the building ready. So faith and wisdom go hand in hand. In fact, let me, let me take, okay, and it's not just for you, it's for others. There is a friend of ours who worked with Dr. Joel Furman, whose guidelines for eating we follow, eat to live and eating a certain healthy way. And he's written a book, The End of Diabetes, about type 2 diabetes. And they will have these medical clinics where those suffering from type 2 diabetes will go to these clinics, and it's, it's week-long, and they have doctors there. They wean you off certain foods and get you eating only healthy foods, and by the end of the week, things are, are broken enough off of you. They do constant tests and monitor things that if you then go on eating healthily, you don't need to treat the diabetes. The diabetes will reverse itself. And, and she said, she's Pentecostal, she's charismatic. She said, I have seen more people cured for life, I've seen more people cured of type 2 diabetes in one week 
of these intensive clinics than in all my life praying for the sick. In other words, there are certain things we can do. You know the story of, about the, the guy that was in a flood, you know, flood waters coming in, and he's praying, you know, God, rescue me, please, rescue me. You know the story, right? And, and some guys come by in a boat, come on, sir, get down. No, 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 God's going to rescue me. You know, and then come the helicopter comes down that drops the ladder. Come on, sir, God's going to rescue me. And then, you know, a few minutes later, there's a low-flying plane. You know, they're, they're dropping supply. Come on, just grab this rope. No, God's going to rescue me. And then he drowns. You know the story. And he goes to the Lord. What happened? I thought you were going to rescue me. And God said, yes, in a boat, a helicopter, a plane. So use wisdom. Listen, I have speaking engagements. And I said, Lord, I don't know if I'm supposed to take these or not. But I'm not even going to make the decision. And next thing, they just started canceling. I had a major engagement, happy to go, planning to go, no problem with going, major conference next month. Pastor got up on Sunday morning, said, we're going ahead with this, nothing's going to stop it. And then the mayor gave an executive order against large meetings. So they submitted to it. Not a problem. And what does it say in Romans 14, 22? If you have faith, have it to yourself. Have it between you and God. It's a different context in Romans 14. But if you're confident, then you have faith for yourself and don't judge others. Well, if you had faith, well, tell you what, if you have so much faith, then why not just stop this whole thing? If you have that much faith, then get alone with God. Don't come out of your room until the whole thing is stopped. First thing. Second thing, let's put this in perspective. I have an article that'll be out this afternoon on the stream and other sites saying one day everything will be shaken. This is not the end of the world. This is not the end of the world. And in fact, unless things get monstrously out of control, unless things totally turn around and get worse than we can imagine, this will not be the, the worst calamity of, of, of centuries. In, in other words, We've had a lot of tragedy over the centuries. We are in a fallen, broken world. And these things happen. Whether Satan's behind it, whether it's just a consequence of the fall, whether God's doing something. The fact is, this is not the end of the world. When you read scripture about the end of the age, it is going to be so far beyond anything that we've seen or experienced. When you think of the shaking of all things, when you think of Revelation 6, that, that the kings of the earth and the mighty will cry out to the rocks to fall on them, to, to hide them from the, the wrath of the Lamb and from the face of the one who sits on the throne. When Hebrews 12 says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Revelation 16 talks about the seven vials of wrath poured out on a world in rebellion that won't repent. When Isaiah 24 speaks of everything shaken, the whole world convulsing, this is not the end of the world. And we need to put things in perspective and not think the way the world thinks. I mean, right now we're in this mentality where if it's, it's climate change that doesn't get us, it's something else, you know, the end of the age is coming. You know, the world is talking like this, and, and, and then the church is overreacting, and then the media is overreacting. We just need to step back. Yeah, this is unprecedented in terms of in our lifetimes, but, but what does it mean so far? I mean, boil it down. Shortage of toilet paper? And you go to the stores and it's no toilet paper. Shortage of hand sanitizer? We're not on the streets dying. If you just think of a country like Syria, 
and the civil war and the upheaval and hundreds of thousands of people dead and, and, and injured and, and whole cities decimated. You think of what it must have been like to be in England and during World War II and the upheaval there and, and, and shaking and, and, or, or, or in Asia with the tsunami just wiping out hundreds of thousands of people in a moment of time. Yes, this is tragic in terms of how it could spread. And yes, there's the potential, if not handled right, that, that it could be very, very serious, but it's not the end of the world. So we, as God's people, need to step back, take a deep breath, worship God as we did today, and realize that fear and panic have no place in the life of a believer ever, ever. It's not because we're mentally tired, it's going to tough it through here. That fear is irrational. Fear goes beyond our mental toughness. Uh, fear is something that must be ultimately combated spiritually. And, and in the Lord, if our foundations are secure, then we will not be moved by the things around us. Jesus says in Luke 21, when everything is being shaken at the end of the age, and you look and you see the sign of the Son of Man coming in, in heaven, people on the earth, he says, will be fainting collapsing out of fear of what's coming. Just, oh, no, what's that? They'll be collapsing and fainting and having heart attacks. And he says, you should be lifting your head because your redemption draws near. And it should be the same perspective, even if we are not at the end of the age, even if this is not an end-time plague. Our perspective should be the same, the same. As things are shaking around us, we're secure because we know the Lord, because we have eternal life, because the worst that people or circumstances could do and kill us is kill us and we have eternal life. You know, a, a major turning point in the life of John Wesley was, was he went over to America, his words, to convert the heathen. And remember, John Wesley, a deeply dedicated Christian, at least his understanding of being a Christian. He was a devout man. He was a prayerful man. He was a studious man. Leonard Ravenhill once said to me that the thing that troubles him about the Wesley brothers, John and Charles Wesley, is they were more consecrated to God as unbelievers than he is as a believer. I mean, they were super devoted and super prayerful and super disciplined, but they didn't know the Lord. They were devout members of the Christian church, but didn't know the Lord. So he is so missional. Think of not being saved and going on to be a missionary. That's committed, right? He thinks he's a Christian. He goes over to America to, quote, convert the heathen. And, and what happens? He's on a boat going over with the Moravians. They were in the midst of the great prayer revival and the great missions movement, Nicholas von Zinzendorf. And they're in the midst of terrible storms. I, I can't imagine what it would be like with old boats from, from centuries past with a terrible storm in the middle of an ocean. Got to be absolutely terrifying. Even if you're not terrified, the seasickness, and the, it's just got to be overwhelming. And he notices that moms, dads, kids are singing hymns and worshiping in the midst of a literal storm. Not just a figurative storm, a literal storm with all the shaking, with all the violent winds and rain, and the, you're going to you know, fall overboard, and it's all over in the dark skies, and it's got to be monstrous. 
They're worshiping and singing hymns. And he asked them afterwards, did you have no fear? No, no fear. No fear of dying, no, no fear. That assurance in the Lord, because they're his people. And if they live, they live. If they die, they go to be with him. And that's one of the times he began to realize, I don't have what they have. If this is being a Christian, I don't have it. This is a great time for us to examine our own foundations. This is a great time to see, are we strong? Are we really in faith? This is a, this is a minor shaking. This is minor upheaval. Unless things turn terribly, terribly bad, and we're trusting as we pray and cry out that God will use that as well. And let it be a sign that God does something in answer to the prayers of his people today. It's a great opportunity for the world to see that, for our society to see it. But, but this is a, a test case to see how we respond to turmoil, to tribulation, to difficulty. You know, let's say you say to me, hey, Dr. Brown, I'd like to work out with you and, and, and get in good shape. And I'll say, okay, let's see what kind of shape you're in. And, and I say, hey, come on over here. And by the time you walk from here to there, you're like, <gasps> it's like, okay, you're in worse shape than we even realized here. This is one of these times where, and, and there's no criticism. There's no condemnation. It's rather time to examine ourselves. How do we react when this happens? What's our first response? What's our attitude in the midst of shaking, in the midst of upheaval? Is it panic? Is it fear? Is it despair? Are we thinking just like the world around us thinks? Let me say something again about fear. It is irrational. I may even do a a talk on, on Facebook on our Ask Dr. Brown page tonight about dealing with fear, getting into more depth about it. But I'll give you a really little, silly example. I'm getting ready for radio one day in our offices. I'm going to be interviewing a colleague, former pastor, Keith Collins. We're sitting there just chatting about what we're going to talk about on the air. And one of the gals on our, on our staff comes in and notifies us that there are problems in the building with the bathrooms. And things are not working properly. They're trying to get them fixed but please don't use the bathrooms, all right? Well, suddenly, I have to go badly. <laughs> at that, and Keith and I look at each other like, what are we going to do? We got an hour on the radio. I'm thinking, how am I going to get through an hour? I was perfectly fine. I didn't have, I realized it was like five hours later I used the bathroom at home. I mean, an hour, or five or six hours, whatever. I did that show, did more recording, went to the store, went home, didn't even think about it because it was no issue. But when that fear hit, suddenly it was an issue. So, so fear makes these things real and pressing and oh no. And, and again, no criticism if you're getting hit with all kinds of fear. And, and again, the media is going to blow things uh, up. And it's just the sensational nature of having the news and reporting what's happening. And you're, you're, you know, in the old days, right, you know, if, if you go back to a time maybe when you would have heard about this by somebody riding by on a horse yelling, stay in your house, there's some play going around. And that's it. You may get another notice in like three weeks, as opposed to, there it is, 24-7, boom, boom, the virus, pandemic, and getting bombarded with it. That's not going to produce an attitude of faith. That's not going to give confidence in God. So it's one thing to hear, to see, to understand, Proverbs 22:3, and to then act with wisdom, Right? That makes sense. That's good. It's another thing to be rational and grip with fear. And what's going to happen? And, and, and again, no condemnation if you're hit with that. 
And, and the condemnation is not going to help you either. But rather, step back and go to the Lord. In fact, you may have a little more time to step back to normal. Maybe your normal routine is disrupted. Maybe your normal work routine. Now, you may have extra things on your plate. Kids at home and others that, that wouldn't normally be happening. Other responsibilities. But step back and get with God and examine your own heart. Examine the depth of your confidence in God. Maybe this can be one of those life-changing experiences like happened with John Wesley. Again, it's not to say you're not saved if you're going through this, but it is to say maybe your foundations aren't deep enough. Here, look. Because we have had relatively little testing and relatively little shaking in our lifetimes, all right? We haven't lived through, most of us here haven't lived through, say, World War II. Most of us here were not over in Vietnam to experience shaking like that. But in our American life, our American society, I remember some years ago, we had an economic crisis. It was a few decades back, whatever the crisis was. And they were likening it to the, to the old days and the, and the Great Depression and things like that. And I think it was Rush Limbaugh's show, they had a meme that they, they put up. And instead of, it was the same people that were waiting online, you know, in this, to, to get a bowl of soup. So this is what you'd have to eat for the day because there was such a shortage in the economy. Instead, they were standing online to get iPhones. <laughs> in, in other words, the, the upheaval that we experience today is very different. So we've gotten a little soft. We haven't been as battle-tested. Judges, the third chapter, it, it, it says that God allowed some of the foreign nations to stay in the land so that the next generation would learn war. They would learn to fight. They learned to be battle-tested. So spiritually speaking, many of us haven't been in the crucible. Many of us haven't been in certain pressure situations. And, and this is, is one of the more radical situations we've lived through thus far, as minor as it may be overall. So this is a great opportunity to test your own walk, to test your own faith, to see how solid, how, how deep your roots are in God, how, how real eternal life is to you, how important are the things of this age. And, and perhaps if you know, you're into sports or things like that and, and suddenly the sports world changes and you realize, boy, I have addictions here. I have certain needs. I can't do this. I can't do this. And, it's a good opportunity to examine yourself. And, and, and listen, I learned many, many years ago that when God is wanting to teach me something, I best learn it the first time around. You know, that, that it, it tends to get longer and harder and more intense each time. Or you end up wasting years. You think, oh, I, I passed that. No, you didn't pass it. God just kind of put you in a big circle. Now you're coming back to first grade again and you're 11 years old. Now you come back to first grade again, you're 18 years old. So let's learn what we can from this because I'm telling you, this is nothing compared to the end time shaking. Now, the end time shaking may be in our lifetimes, it may be in five years, it may be in 100 years, God knows. But we should always live with an eternal perspective. We should always live differently than the world lives. And, and, and that leads to the, the last thing that I want to say, which is this. In Ephesians 5, we're exhorted to redeem the time because the days are evil. And when you walk with the Lord, you understand that a fundamental aspect of his character is that he's a redeemer. 
So when, when Jesus sees the man born blind in John 9 and his disciples asked, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither, neither, but this happened. He doesn't explain how it happened or who's behind it, but he said, this happened so that God could be glorified. In other words, this is an opportunity. The blind man, born blind, this presents an opportunity for God to be glorified as the healer, Right? Redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We've got to make the most of this opportunity. We don't know when something like this might happen again. We don't know when something worse will happen. But this is a divine opportunity for us to minister the gospel, a divine opportunity for us to demonstrate faith, it's been documented through church history that the church has, has often grown in the midst of plague, in the midst of pestilence. And there are several reasons for it. One is that God's people had hope of eternal life and others didn't. This is a great opportunity to, to talk to friends, neighbors, to look for opportunities to share the gospel, uh, to see if, if people you know are really shaken. And, and again, not to condemn them, but to offer them hope. And to tell them, listen, you know, as followers of Jesus, we're, we're ready for anything because we have eternal life. And, and we know that, that even if this whole world is shaken, we go to be with him forever. That, that our perspective is different. Use it as an opportunity to demonstrate faith. Also, during times like this, it's often Christians who are on the front lines are bringing help. Because their first concern is not themselves, but loving God and loving others. Again, we use wisdom in what we do but we follow the mission of the Lord, and you expect believers to be on the cutting edge of ministering grace and help, and in the midst of areas that are hit, and in the midst of great need. And, and there are plenty of stories, Psalm 91 type stories, which literally speak of God's protection in the midst of plague. The Hebrew terms are, are very, very vivid. They don't just speak of spiritual attack, they speak of physical attack. Uh, to the point that the psalmist, speaking of judgment on the wicked, says, you're going to see a 1,000 fall at your side and, and 10,000 at your right hand, but it won't come near you. No, it's people are dying. It doesn't touch you. There is that place that we can walk in. John G. Lake, in the midst of a terrible plague in, in South Africa, when he was a missionary there, the turn of the last century, that, that people were dying in such numbers, they, they didn't have enough caskets to bury people, they didn't have enough blankets to wrap them, and they just had to put people in mass graves. It was a horrific time. And, and Lake was ministering right in the midst of it. In other words, it's one of these situations, you got nowhere to go, nowhere to run to, so he ran right into the midst of the situation and was ministering. And you have many Christians that give their lives doing that. In other words, they minister, then they die. But they give their lives to help others. And they have others with these supernatural stories of protection. Even Charles Spurgeon. I say even Charles Spurgeon as a, as a Baptist leader in the 1800s. Not one that would be believing in divine healing so much. He talked about Christians ministering in the midst of plague and being supernaturally protected. But Lake described what happened. That as people would die, that, that as they die, there would be this, this foam, white foam that would come out of their mouths. And it, and it would stay like that for some time. And Lake was talking to one of the doctors because they're saying, how is it, you know, you haven't been inoculated and you're, 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 you're right in the midst of this and you're unaffected. And again, Lake went through hardship. His wife died in South Africa. Lake had health issues to battle through. It's not like he just skipped through life, but there is a supernatural faith that can operate in the midst of it. 
And, and Lake said to one of the doctors, he said, is it true that, that the germs are alive and active after death? They said, yeah, for some time after death, they're still active. So he said, get that foam, put it on a slide. And they put it under a microscope. And he said, what's going on? He said, yeah, all the germs are alive. And he said, all right, put the foam on my hand. Put it on his hand, and Lake put his hand under the microscope, and the, the guy was shocked. He said, everything's dead. And he said, what happened? And Lake said, that's the spirit of life in Christ Jesus inside of us. So yes, we use wisdom. Yes, we honor authorities. At the same time, we are people of faith. At the same time, we go as God calls us, as God sends us into the midst of a storm with a message of hope and life. So again, Proverbs 22, 3. Prudent one sees disaster coming, hides himself, avoids it. Fool runs straight into it. So use wisdom. I've got hand sanitizer. I'll use it. Wash my hands. Sure, I'll use wisdom. The whole thing about don't touch your face, the more you think about that, the harder that one is. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, listen, I've, I've, I've been in New York in the last few days, and New York was shutting things down. I had a strange route to and from Hong Kong because of, uh, to and from Australia because of flight cancellations. So instead of having a flight that would take me, say, from, uh, from Charlotte to L.A. and from L.A. to Brisbane, Australia, I, I went from Charlotte to JFK in New York, from JFK to Hong Kong, oh yeah, Hong Kong, and then from Hong Kong to Sydney, then from Sydney to Brisbane, from the time I left my house to the time I arrived and then went straight from there to speak was over 50 hours in each direction, including like 9 or 10 hours in the, the Hong Kong airport. And it's Asian custom anyway for people who wear masks if they're sick to keep it out from others. So everybody's got masks there and you're there just for hours and hours. I'm in the midst of these things, but if, if I was asked to speak and everything was on, I went, all right? But were there guidelines saying live a certain way? It's not a problem. Don't make it a contrast with faith. On the other hand, look at your life. How, how, what's your state of mind? What's your state of heart in the midst of this? And, and, and do you see that this can be a test run? How are we going to live? What if things get really bad? Where are our priorities? Where are our hearts? In the things of this world primarily or in God's eternal principles? In, in the things that are going to pass away or things that will never pass away? And again, if you're, if you're dealing with fear, don't hide it and don't condemn yourself, but go to the Lord and say, God, I, I've got some issues here. I'm definitely struggling. It's human. It's, it's understandable. I've got some issues. The disciples with Jesus in the boat got scared. I mean, there's any time not to be scared. See, if you've got Jesus literally in the boat with you. It's like, we got it. We're good. God had given me a promise many years ago that I'd be flying a lot. So before I was traveling much to speak that I'd be flying a lot, and he'd be with me and protect me. So I was on a plane one time, and it got really turbulent, and things started shaking. It was, it was one of the, the, the more severe times that I was on a plane with, with turbulence. And the lady next to me was in a panic. And I said to her, don't worry. I'm a minister of the gospel, and God's told me I'll be safe when I fly. She's like, oh, good, good. The next thing's like, oh, I almost threw up. It's like, but we're good. We're good. <laughs> I mean, just at that moment, took one of those dips. But how much more if you've got Jesus in the boat with you, you don't have to be afraid. So if you find yourself afraid, even though Jesus is in the boat with you, you've got to take hold of that greater reality. Pray about it. 
Ask God how to deal with it. Meditate on the scriptures about God being with us until it's so real that your heart breaks for those who suffer and, and, and you care about those in need, but in your own life you laugh because you're confident in God. And then let's, let's redeem this opportunity. Lord, how can this be used for your glory? How, how can you turn this for good? How can this be used to advance the gospel, to unify your people, to cause us to shine like lights in dark places? And as, and as we pray and as Chris leads us in this national day of prayer at the end here, uh, let's really believe that God will demonstrate that he's the living God. That in our increasingly secular and worldly and mocking and non-believing society, that this call to prayer will be a reminder of human frailty and of our need for God. Amen? So let's pray. Father, I pray for Fire Church, those here and all those tuning in at home, and all of our friends around America and around the world, that a spirit of faith would rise up in us, a spirit of confidence, and that you, the Redeemer, would glorify yourself in the midst of the storm, and that you'd use us as your people to send a message to the world around us. You'd use us as your people to give assurance and faith and hope, and to demonstrate that we have a living hope in our living Savior, Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Such, such great words. Was that encouraging to you? That ministered to your hearts? I know it ministered to me. I know it's ministering to you at home. Stick with us if you're watching online because we want to just take a few more, few more moments and, and dive into a time of prayer corporately. If you're at home, I want you to grab the people that are next to you. If you've already grabbed hand sanitizer and you're able to do so. I know I'm being, being silly, but I want us to be intentional about these next few moments to really come together and pray our our president made a, a proclamation and i know he's got more official ones but i'm just going to read the shortened version on twitter <laughs> one of the ways he likes to communicate but uh, it says it is my great honor to declare sunday march 15th as a national day of prayer we are a country that throughout history has looked to God for protection and strength in times like these. No matter where you may be, I encourage you to turn towards prayer in an act of faith. Together, we will easily prevail. Together, we will easily prevail. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your political affiliation. When a president of a nation says that to, it, to their country, that means a lot. That means a lot. And I can stand behind that. And my heart is, is broken for a nation today, you know, just listening to the message that we just heard and thinking about all the hearts that are, that are being revealed in this moment. And, and I can't help but get, pa I can't get past that, that concept. You know, when, when crisis hits you, it's not, it's not that you're always in uh, an incessant, you know, place of fear. It's what do you do with the suddenlies? What do you do when you are tested? What do you do? You know, when you come to that place and all of a sudden you, it, it wasn't there yesterday, but it's there now. So how am I going to respond? How am I going to respond? Am I going to respond in fear? Am I going to respond in faith? Am I going to take wisdom? 
how am I going to respond? And we need to pray that our nation begins to allow these things that the suddenlies have shaken them. People are crisis, panic, buying, selling things, doing all this kind of stuff. You, you've seen it. You've seen it run the gamut, but we need to pray together. So I'm going to invite some of my leaders to come if you, if you feel led to, uh, to, to help me in, in leading out in prayer today. Uh, just for the next few moments again, and if we go too long, we'll, we'll kind of cut the live feed, and I just want to instruct those of you that are at home, continue to pray. Let this be a day of prayer. Uh, we may even do some things later today, coming back to places of prayer, and uh, listen listen up for announcements on social media and email. As far as the church goes, we're going to host some some more uh, prayer, prayer meetings in certain ways, whether that's online or in person, in homes, different ways. We're going to do a lot of different things over this next week because the church needs to pray. So I'll lead out, and as you get promptings from the Lord, I want you to come, elders and leaders that are here today with us, to help us pray out. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much, Lord, that you are a God of love, that you are a God of mercy, and you are a God that, that is near to the brokenhearted. You are near to those that are in places of anxiety. Lord, I thank you that your love is so pure that when you come on the scene, all anxiety is cast out. Lord, even with fathers that have dying daughters, even Jesus, as you were on the scene, you spoke to the Father and said, do not fear, only believe. In this moment, I cry out that this nation would be a nation that believes. Lord God, I cry out right now for all of our leadership. We cry out for our president. We cry out for our vice president and our leaders in, in, in high places making difficult decisions. Lord, I pray that your anointing would be upon them. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't be swayed one way or another by a way that they feel or, or what they would naturally hear. But Lord God, they, they would only be able to hear wise words and be able to choose, choose proper decisions that come straight from you. Lord, we cry out for the nation of America right now, God. And we say, Lord, let our governors, let our mayors, let every official be able to choose wisely, God. And let the people be able to obey. Lord God, help Help us to be those, Lord God, that love one another. Let us move in a spirit and an attitude of love. Let us move in a way that we see the needs of others as more important than our own, God. Lord God, not in a false sense, but in a real sense, God. That we would look to our neighbors to our right and our left. That we would look across the street, perhaps to an elderly one. Or those dealing with symptoms, Lord. That we would figure out how we can meet needs physically, emotionally, spiritually, God. And actually do what it takes to see things happen. Lord God, I pray that you would break down every barrier. Lord God, you would cause the church to arise, Lord God, and unify and move in harmony, God, that we wouldn't be fighting for one thing or another to say we're doing this or we're doing that. But Lord God, we would humble ourselves and pray. Lord, let this be a season. Let this be a season where your church comes to the place where we say, Lord, we've been shaken in this way. We've been shaken in that way. Our hearts have been exposed. And we're saying, God, we need you. We need an awakening, God. Even though this may not be the severest thing our nation has ever faced or even the world has ever faced, Lord, I pray that this would be something that would move our hearts to tears and cry out for a great awakening in our nation, in our culture, in the moral status of what we what we're living in, God, that you would move upon our hearts and awaken a people to say, God, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Cause salvation to come. Let the gospel be proclaimed. Let love be 
expressed in tangible ways, God. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you would quicken our hearts with a spirit of prayer, Lord God, that we would pray until we have prayed and then pray some more, Father. Lord, cover this nation in your blood. We thank you that from coast to coast, from north to south, from east to west, God, Lord God, that all the ground, Lord God, would be covered by your blood and covered by your grace and by your mercy. Father God, I thank you, Father. Whatever it takes, God, whatever it takes, Lord God, let timing be, be handled properly. Lord God, let hearts have, have, have a wise perception, Father, with eternal mindsets, God, that we would see what is truly important, even in our homes, God, for every mom, for every dad, dealing with things, having uncertainty, God, every uncertainty faced, God, I pray right now that you would bring peace like a river, God. Peace like a river into every home with the questions of where are my finances going to come from? How am I going to provide for my kids? How am I going to deal with the attitudes of my kids being home for a few weeks? How am I going to deal with the normalcy of life? My normal is gone. Lord, I pray that you would bring peace to every heart and to every spirit, to every soul right now in the name of Jesus. We proclaim the peace of God, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to pervade in every single home, Lord God. Lord, I pray that this would be a time where families come together, that this would be a time where families of faith arise. Lord God, that fathers and mothers disciple their children. Lord God, that this would be a time of deep and intentional prayer, one for another amongst generations, God. Lord God, that we would even believe beyond those that are in our national sphere, God, knowing that there's no distance in the spirit, that we would pray for our distant loved ones, that we would make phone calls. Lord God, we thank you for the technology that is here. Lord God, that there will be more communication now than, it is, than there has ever been. Lord God, I pray that relationships would be restored as we recognize what is truly important. Father God, that you would restore broken relationships, broken hearts, broken homes, God, that strivings would cease and this would be a moment of pause for us to say, God, we serve you, we love you, and we want you to arrange the priorities of our hearts and our lives. Lord God, I pray for a supernatural ceasing right now. Let's agree together for the ceasing of this virus, for the ceasing of this virus right now. As the church of God, in faith, we cry out and we say, coronavirus, you have a name. You have a name. And we speak to that infirmity. We speak to every agent applied to it. We even speak to the spirit of fear that is propelling it. And we say right now, we bind you. We bind you in the name of Jesus. We say, be shut up and cease in the name of Jesus. Come out of our nation. Come out of our families. Come out of our people. Come out of the world. We say disease, cease in the name of Jesus. We lose healing across this nation that it would dumbfound many. We speak to the spirit of fear and we say we bind you. We bind you right now in the name of Jesus. We speak to manipulation. We say we bind you in the name of Jesus. Every spirit at work right now, we say, be confused in your operations. And we loose right now. We say, God, have your way. Let love prevail. Let a spirit of healing 
Let a spirit of faith, let a spirit of hope, let a spirit of truth arise right now in our generation, God. Let it move. Let it move, God. Lord, right now we turn our eyes to those in the medical field and we say, God, we thank you for strength. We thank you for strength for each and every one of them. We thank you for protection around them, for their physical bodies, for their families, for their minds, God, as they operate and do what they know to do, serving sacrificially, God. Cover them with your grace, God. Cover them with your grace. Let them be exceedingly covered in your grace, God. Give them continued wisdom. Give them continued plans in what to do, Father. Lord, I thank you from the oldest to the youngest, God, that there would just be that silence of fear, silence of fear and panic, God, that you would move in and you would breathe upon a nation, God. Lord, that there would be a people, multiple people, God, not just loud mouthpieces, but everyday people, God, all of us, God, myself included, God, being those that you will operate through in the weeks and days ahead. Jesus, that you would use us to bring a cold drink. That you would use us, God, to bring a breath of fresh air, a breath of hope, a proper perspective, a cleansing to this nation, God. Lord, move across this nation. Move across this nation. There's much that we have to be thankful for, but there's much that we have to be repentful of, God, for things that we have done to turn our hearts from you, God. And so for that, we do bow our knee, God. We do bow our knee, Lord, and we say, Lord, we repent for any foolishness. We repent for our sin. We repent for the, the, the shedding of innocent blood. We repent, Father, for, for having idols before you, God. And we pray, Lord God, that these idols would bow, that they would be crushed before you, God, and that the name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus, would be exalted to the highest place, that your banner would be proclaimed over this nation and the nations of the world, that every believer would come alive and be able to speak truth humbly, God, and proclaim that you are Lord, God. You are Lord. Jesus, we thank you. Move today, God. Stir the hearts of your people as we continue to pray.